have I got a story for you. I mean, at this point. Hit me with your dad joke. Where we all just need to admit it, accept it, embrace it. Pot does more for people than just get them high. And if you're not there, if you haven't reached that elevated status of insight, you need to watch our guest's documentary with an open mind. But first, a word from today's sponsor, the highest of highs, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com is the cute, quaint corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merchandise you had no idea existed because Andre Psyche has not succumbed to sucking up to Google and all the other search engines to get him in the algorithm. He's tucked away in the northwest part of the internet, just banging out dope-ass music. Let me give you a little preview of the plethora of potential purchases available for your perusal. We're talking literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, which is original, poetry, podcasts, or any custom gift that your soul would desire. Because Andre is a freelance creator extraordinaire. So go to AndrePsyche.com and see what speaks to you. Because each and every item has a story that is waiting to be told. Nothing is made. Everything is created on AndrePsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the podcast you're listening to, the Getting to Know You pod. Do us a favor. We need and appreciate your support. Take a moment right now and push the subscribe button on whatever app you opened the Getting to Know You pod on. And if you want to take it a step further, rate and review the Getting to Know You pod, especially if you are on Apple. Five stars, five stars. Can we get five on it? I don't know. I'm just full of all these like little weed innuendos. How else can you support the pod? Thanks for thinking of that. Go to our Patreon and search getting the number two, no, the letter U, pod, all one word, and become a subscriber. You can also friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Getting to Know You pod. Again, the number two, the letter U. Finally, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world. The podcast is downloaded in over 42 countries at this point, and people in Canada and France going apeshit over this. And the majority of states in America, particularly the Northeast. So again, if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just make it appropriate. If you're interested, message us. And now, getting to know you. Hello. <laughs> with your dead joke, I fire away. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. 
I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. On today's show, we are getting to know David. David, who is, I love me a good dad joke, one of the dopest directors that we have had on the pod. Hit me with your dad jokes. Why don't you hit me with your dad jokes? Hit me with your dad jokes. Fire away. David, thank you so much for um, taking some time. You have some editing to do and uh, letting listeners get to know you, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And I love good dad jokes. <laughs> so Uns um, are a sign of a, of, of, a, of a good soul, I think. A purity, right? Just like an all out unadulterated goober who doesn't mind poking fun at themselves. I agree. Correct. <laughs> so you have some editing to do. And one of the cooler things I've gotten on this podcast, I had a drag queen from Hawaii come on. And she does parody songs. And one of the clips she gave me was like a, hit me with your dad jokes. <laughs> so every once in a while, if I can think of a good one, I try to work it in so I can splice that in. Shout out Candy Shell um, to the podcasts. So yeah, that was kind of my thinking behind it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yes, I love, I love good puns and I try to work them into uh, documentaries that I work on all the time and then inevitably always edit them out. Why is that? Because they're fun in the moment, but once you see them in a work of of, uh, of art, you know, or 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 journalism, it it just sort of it just sort of never fits, you know. In fact, in um, the documentary uh, CBD Nation, it, 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 the whole approach was to make a serious movie about cannabis science. And I had so many gags in that movie originally. Not well, gags is the wrong word. Just funny things people would say. I bet. You know, just like a lot of little joke moments, and some of them were very funny. And I just inevitably, I, I just inevitably cut all of them out, all of them, because I wanted the movie to be serious. But we can get into that more gradually. Yeah. Do well. I mean, it's funny because that was one of the things that I wondered while I watched it, and you were kind enough to let me pre or not preview it, but see it. And thank you for that because I fucking loved it. The animation, the, the message, the flow. And it was, I didn't realize, man, it's, it's dense for 83 minutes. Like it is packed full of information. And if you're paying attention, you almost want to watch it twice because there's so much to just think about and realize. I think people don't think of cannabis as about something serious. Right. So that was the thing. And I'm sorry to cut you off, but thank you for bringing me back to my point with the characters you had on there, even just the way they dress facial expression, the hair, having longer hair, or you had a guy, I don't know if they're French, not French braids, but he had like two parted side braids and you had a guy with dreadlocks and you have another, and they're all scientists. They're all accredited. They're all businessmen. But if you judge them based on the outward appearance, you would initially not think, Oh, educated, science, professional. So that was one of the things that I was kind of wondering about is balancing that out. Um, so I'll, I'll get right into it. <laughs> no foreplay. <laughs> no foreplay. So cannabis is something, is a subject that I was very new to. And 
and so I had no real um, uh, baggage, positive or negative, about it. I had, in fact, if I if I'm to be honest and admit it, it was probably my baggage was probably more negative. I probably shared in the stigma that most people who have no experience with cannabis have about cannabis users, right? Mm. So, so you know, like stoners, as yeah. as I would deem them, just like everyone else deems them, you know. Um, I, I had stigmas about stoners, including my friends and family members who are who are who are ilk, as I would have referred to them back then, you know. <laughs> and I'm embarrassed by that stigma that I had now. Right. And when I um, started researching uh, uh, medical cannabis science, I started realizing, oh my God, there's so many papers out there, so many scientific papers, so many that are so um serious and you know put together by scientists at really top institutes around the world yeah. and and i realized and i started thinking why do i have stigma can i pause you for a moment because i think that's something i didn't realize on the documentary the history of C- of the benefits of cbd and i don't, i should have taken notes while i was watching it if i was a professional podcaster but like there are studies decades Decades, decades ago. Do you remember the earliest study that you referenced on the documentary? Not to put you on the spot. About the pro-cannabis I, benefits? Oh, I, I, I remember very well. So so when I started researching this, you mean the first thing that's in the movie or the first no, thing that I learned so, about? No, so like there was references all the way back to like 6th and ninth century and stuff like that. And I'd always heard about that, but the actual like scientific journal type studies, I didn't, I want to say like 1950s, 60s or 70s where they were very pro benefits of CBD and cannabis. But I, I, I don't remember the exact date. I do remember it is in the documentary though. And I was blown away by like, oh my God, people have been saying this stuff is good for you for almost like half a century. The earliest paper that I cite in the film, I think is from the 60s. Okay. But um, but the first thing that got me to realize that cannabis is serious, um, the cannabis science is a serious field, and that should it, that it, that should be taken seriously um, by the by lay people like me, <laughs> is I saw a TED talk by by a biochemist named Dedi Meiri, an Israeli um, PhD postdoc who runs a lab at an institute called the Technion University, which is in a city called Haifa in Israel. Now, I'm Israeli. I grew up in, in Tel Aviv. And I, I know of the Technion quite well. You know, I grew up knowing of the Technion. It's kind of like the MIT of Israel. It's a very serious okay. technology and science institute university that has, you know, Nobel Prize winners have come out of that place. And this guy standing on stage, Dr. Meiri, and he's talking about how in their university, they, in their lab, um, a lab of 40 people that he runs, they have been finding that different combinations of compounds from inside the cannabis plant kill different, um, different cancer cells. Yeah. So a combination of these three compounds from the cannabis plant kill uh, liver cancer cells, but not prostate cancer cells. But prostate cancer cells are killed by this combination of compounds from the cannabis plant. Cannabis plant has hundreds of compounds in it, of which THC, which gets you high, and CBD, which is the other famous you know, um, compound, are just two. There's hundreds. Hmm. And so when Deddy Meiri is talking about these compounds that kill cancer cells, he's, he's not even talking about 
THC and CBD. He's talking about other compounds that don't even have names. That's crazy. Yeah, they're they're just named with numbers. So, I heard this being spoken by a person who I who I immediately like realized I need I, I need to listen to this person. Right, this is a serious man Incredible. who has nothing to do with cannabis culture. Right, this is a guy who I don't so I would not have in my old old ignorance days, you know, would not have thought, oh, this guy is like a stoner because mm-hmm. he doesn't look like a stoner. He doesn't dress like a stoner. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't talk in, in the rhythm that I think stoners may talk in. <laughs> he had that. nothing to do with pot culture, right? And so it, th- this propelled me to go look at, um, if you go to Google Scholar, which is this like section of Google where you can just look up scientific papers. Yeah. You go there and you, you put in CBD in the search and just thousands of papers come up. It's amazing. It's, it's extraordinary. Yes. And so I started thinking, why do I have stigma? Why do I participate in stigma? And I, I realized, well, how is cannabis portrayed in our culture, in pop culture? Mm. Pop, not pot culture, <laughs> um, and it's presented. Um, it's presented as a punchline. It's presented as funny. It's presented as a, a, a as Brad Pitt in True Romance, you know, who who plays this hilarious stoner roommate of a you know. It's an early early thing. Yeah, right. He's just sitting on the couch the whole time. Doesn't he get his boy got because he just starts talking to the friend? He's like, I have no awareness of what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and I love I love that that scene. Right, it's hysterical. And then there's a you know Harold and Kumar and. Uh, Further back, uh, uh, Cheech and Chong, right? Like all these comedy, yeah. silly stoner movies. Half-baked. They're all delightful, but but really have, I think, really done a lot of damage to to our perception of cannabis. Um, and so as I was editing my movie, I, re- I, I realized jokes have no place here. Mm. And I had some very funny moments, like, for example, uh, this one guy I interviewed, um, he's talking about this doctor, he's talking about how um, we need to change the the names of of the strains of cannabis because he cannot, in good faith, um, offer a a, a patient of his to use Alaskan Thunderfuck (laughs) for, for a disease. And so, and and that was so funny. He's like an older gentleman. It's just like the funniest, unexpected thing. And I had it in the edit for a long time. And it, it, eventually, I just thought, you know, this is another one that just needs to come out. Dude, so I gotta ask. That's something that I'm completely ignorant to. It are particular strands of cannabis like trademarked, where if you find that whatever that is about the pot that helps blank medically and that strand lines up to with northern lights or in this case alaskan thunderfuck are you not able to rename it yourself do you have to refer to it because there's almost like an intellectual property or a trademark on that particular what would it like a bio trademark uh, I sadly don't know the answer to that question. Um, that's a that's a, a field even... that I did not touch on. I know that it's a problem um, in in the cannabis industry world. Like I think people are concerned with, but also trying to figure out how to um, do uh, trademarking of different strains. But I that's something I don't know about. Yeah. I I I tried to stay 
very specific to uh, in terms of the scope of the movie um because my my subject was the scientific research of cannabis medicine right and it's such a big field and my experience with cannabis is so minimal that i i wanted to sort of become a a, a lay person filmmaker kind of ec- level expert on just one subject which is you know filmmaker layperson expertise is very very minor expertise <laughs> you, think so? you, know? you you don't oh, cons- yeah. like you don't think you could go into those social circles and hang after making oh yeah I can. and i and I, I i have social professional social circles like i know i know what they're talking about but but uh but the science conversation goes very deep the the scientists speak in in languages that you know, mere mortals cannot really deal with because there are so many terms and words and processes that they discuss that, you know, the you need syllables, to for the syllables are overwhelming when you get I've into hung the out a lot with it. quantum physicists because I've done a lot of, uh, I've done a bunch of videos on quantum physics and, um, <laughs> it, it's kind of a, it's kind of weird because they're speaking English. You know, and you're listening to them, and you know this is English. You understand the, you understand that they're speaking to you in words that you understand, but you have no idea what they're talking about, what they're saying. It's really surreal. It's like being kind of high. And do you? So me personally, I'm the smile and nod guy. I'm the oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'm the I'm the affirmative in that situation. Are you like? How do you act in that? Are you the questioner? Do you ask them to explain? Do you try to like? compensate by adding like one or two catchphrases that you know about quantum physics to throw in there if if uh if i'm doing if i'm talking to them because i'm going to be making some kind of movie about what they're talking about i will ask them questions a million times the same question till i understand something okay um and for some reason they're never annoyed by it I found I bet I, because I think they're seeing like, okay, here's some, someone who's trying to understand something. Yeah. Um, I make people explain things to me in many different ways to like grasp something. Sometimes it takes weeks of, of multiple conversations, especially with something as, you know, making a movie about physics is, is, yeah. uh, is hard for a non-scientist like me. Well, yeah, they probably understand the, the vast, the, the, all the little steps that lead to some sort of understanding of this very abstract concept for most people. So that's awesome that they're very kind with it. They're, they, they, the funny part of it is I've befriended all these quantum physicists and sometimes I'll get texts from some of them um, telling me about some something cool they've figured out. <laughs> and they're talking to me like I know what they're talking about, you know, and, and I don't at all know what they're talking about. <laughs> and do you it's just, kind of beautiful. I would just reply with emojis. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I can't add no, anything. No, I, uh, I I either joke with I, I either just tell them, hey, I have no fucking clue what you're talking about, <laughs> or or I uh, or I or I ask them to explain it. Dude, so you're God. I I want to call you a chameleon. Like you're bouncing around. I had no idea, and I purposefully don't try to do too much research because part of the whole shtick of the pod, getting to know you. I enjoyed genuinely getting to know you for the first time. I knew we had the CBD connection. I'm thinking of like almost two different realms, man. And I'm thinking of you trying to get people comfortable with cameras, with lighting, with crew, with settings and getting them to be genuine. That has to be a very unique skill 
that you and other people possess. Being able to get people to open up on camera and just talk about all sorts of topics, man. Like, I'm, am I wrong to be impressed? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you're wrong to be impressed. Um, it, it, is, it is probably a unique skill, and I can only attest to it being a skill because I know that I got better at it over the years of doing it. Um, it used to make me very nervous to go and do an interview. Um, really? Because in the past, yeah, I, like I edited documentaries in the past for other directors who are journalists, let's say, who who had been doing it for years, interviewing people for years, and they would be such uh, masters at it. And so I, I learned a lot through editing other people's uh-huh. documentaries over the years. Um, but also, I've 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 done it many times now, and you really get better at it. Um, a friend of mine recently started a podcast. Uh, about uh, about immigrants, and she was trying to get me to, to to give her like tips about interviewing and stuff. And I did my best, but really, you just have to dive in and do it. Yeah. And, did you study you interview skills at all? Out how to do it, you know. So did you actually like read a couple books on? Hey, I can make someone comfortable with this way, and you like are aware of your body language and leaning in and gestures or do you just like you're just like hey man i'm me i'm genuine all that stuff the gestures the body language that's all just experience right you kind of like you do it again and again and again after a hundred times you do it you you kind of have a an idea of what you're like with what kind of uh dynamic with different kinds of people uh the term genuine is is uh, tricky. Let's break down the term genuine into into its practical constituents. I love this. Um, I love the fact that you said break it down to its practical constituents. Clearly, well, the quantum physicist. What does it mean to be genuine as a as an interviewer, right? And so I think it means a few things on a practical level. To interview well, I think you first of all need to to to, to have done your homework and and like research. Like if you're interviewing someone about about um, who's a pain doctor doing work with cannabis on patients you need to have some kind of basic understanding of what cannabis is what pain is and what pain doctors do for example right um ideally you want to kind of know the answers that they're going to give you before you even ask the question really as as much as possible right why why do you think that's an ideal thing um you but you also want to be surprised sometimes (laughs) <laughs> the reason is because you want to, um, if, if you know what they're going to answer, then you know how to ask your questions, you know, in order to get that answer in, in, the, in, in the best way. And that's also something that you just get better at as you do it. Is the that, second, and I don't mean uh, to cut you off, man. I, I really apologize, but I'm super okay, curious I'll, about I'll this. Is like knowing the answer is there a benefit to that as far as if you're trying to edit so many people so many things to a theme you want to keep that narrative a little tighter or what is the benefit to kind of knowing what those answers will be to keep the questions going because you need so much footage to keep it interesting i'll I'll answer i'll answer with with an example my documentary about cannabis starts with a section about uh, it starts with a, with, a, with a section about how muscles in uh, the bay around in, uh, Puget Sound near Seattle, the muscles in that water have been found to have to be containing um, 
very heavy traces of pharmaceuticals. It was so fucking trippy. When you started with that, I like that the pharmaceutical aspect of your documentary to me was mind blowing. Like the statistics alone, 75% of the pharmaceuticals consumed in the world are by Americans, 5% of the population. It's like the incarceration rate, like 3% of the populations here, 25% are in prison. Like it's, it's, it was, it was amazing. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, that was a great way to start it. Sorry. Thank you. And 80%, by the way, uh, 5%, the 5% of the population of the world, which is the Americans, consume 80% of the opioids, at least as of two years ago. God, that's terrible. That is so terrible. It's crazy, crazy, really crazy numbers. Um, but so, so I went and I interviewed the, the, the lead scientist who, dis, who you know, discovered this stuff, who ran the experiment where they discovered that muscles contained all these pharmaceuticals. So on a very practical level, um, I, I, this sounds trivial, but but I needed to know about this experiment in order to go film her talking about it, right? Okay. Um, so 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 this this is like a very basic, almost obvious example, right? Um, I needed to know the results of that experiment in order to to even to fly to Seattle and talk to this woman, right? <laughs> right. Um, so so I know what they discovered, so I know what I want to ask her about because I know that I want to hear about these muscles and I wanted, I know that they found um, chemo traces in there, you know, so chemo medication traces in the muscles. So I want to ask her about that. I want to make sure she tells me about those things. And then, you know, as I interview her, she also tells me other things that I didn't think about or forgot about or didn't read about or just that she never told me about (laughs) in the pre-interview. And uh, so, yeah, so, so it's surprising and that's kind of fun too. It takes you on a whole new direction. That happens that's actually there's no science to, to, to documentary making. It's it's very there's rules, but they're changed all the time. And it's an art. And I, I just thought of this and I didn't consider it when I initially asked. I guess when I said narrative, I didn't mean like you're trying to get a particular narrative across. It's not like you're trying to discover or shape the way or have some sort of bias or whatever. But I hadn't considered the audience. And trying to make sure people in the audience are not being overwhelmed with the information and can put all the pieces together and can follow along. So, yeah, you would have to ask some really not simple but simple questions to make sure the audience is taking the steps along with the learning process. Yes, but by the way, my my uh, my uh, my technical director hat is just like rising into this and I want to make sure that you're recording because I'm not seeing any indication here that you are. Thank you. I record with QuickTime, not on the Zoom. Okay, cool. That has um, not, that only happened once. Shout out Candy, I believe episode eleven. Totally wasted uh-huh. ten minutes of a great dirt bike mom story that will for never be heard. But I appreciate you looking out, dude. That's happened to me. Um, I bet. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I, I, I think I think the idea is. So what I just told you about about interviewing this woman applies to all interviews in in various ways, right? So so going to when I'm shooting a documentary, each documentary is different. But generally, when I'm shooting a documentary, I don't know what the structure of it's going to be. It sort of arises as I'm going. Um, I do one interview, and I think, oh. The, the, this guy told me all these things and I can sort of imagine this being in the beginning. And then after the second interview, I, I can say, Oh, I, I, I think this guy talking about that can follow the subject that this person talked about yesterday, you know, and you start sort of figuring it out a little bit as you're shooting. 
And then you go to the editing room and you look at everything that you have and then you methodically start putting together a, 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 a script for how you're going to edit the thing. But while you're interviewing, you're you're discovering structure and you're asking questions, you know, that, that are going to fit that structure. It's honestly, it's, it's a, it's every documentary is just so different. Dude. I immediately uh, went to, it's almost, um, it's almost, um, it's almost instinctual in a way there's, there's both method and instinct to it. I think I went with terrifying. I could not imagine starting a project and not knowing the structure. It has to be so Actually, have you ever shot like a, a a movie, a fictional movie, like typical plot? Yeah. yeah. How? It's, it's completely different. And I, I will tell you, I would be terrified to shoot a documentary with a structure in, in, in mind. Really? Yeah. Because, because, because then it would really stress me to try to like make sure that I'm constantly trying to follow this structure, but I, I I'm everything's so uncontrollable. Like, I don't know exactly what this person's going to say. Right. I know more or less cause I've studied, but I don't know exactly what they're going to say. I don't know if this person's going to suddenly introduce me to that person and say, Hey, you got to go interview that person. Cause they're, they're so fascinating. Right. But would, would I, would I just go miss out on that person? Cause they don't fit into my prearranged structure. No, you want to you wanna allow yourself to have freedom to discover. You know what your theme is. The theme might change too as you go. Right? That doesn't terrify the fuck out of you, huh? You just embrace the unknown? Well, I think calling it unknown is a little incorrect. And it, I think it just I love strikes you as unknown because you've not done it. Okay. Um, to me, it's to to me, it's not unknown. It's it's process, like it's the it's it's just the way it is. I don't expect to know what it's going to be in the beginning. You know, it, I don't I I don't at all plan to know what it needs to be in the beginning. And when I work with people who want me to know it in the beginning, it freaks me out. Like it makes me it makes me not want to work with them. Dude, I was about to ask, and again, I'm a I'm a super novice. I don't try to pretend like I know or have any sort of expertise, and I completely do not mind being educated and corrected. My mind immediately went to funding, and you want to pitch an idea to someone and say, hey, I'm just going to kind of explore this theme. May change, may not change, maybe this, maybe that. Can I get, I'm just going to say, 100 grand? Can I get a quarter million dollars? And then being like, yeah, man, go discover it. Is that a hard pitch for the funding aspect and support? Or do people just start trusting like your reputation? And they say, oh, dude, he's going to have a vision. He's going to make it work. He's a solid kind of a director. Uh, I think yes. <laughs> yes. Yes to all of that. I think it is a challenge sometimes to, to, to put it that way. Um. And I think that, that your reputation does play part of it, uh, a part into it, and, and the work that you've done plays into it. Uh, I will say, though, that the way that you presented it, like, uh, hey, so you want to give me a quarter million dollars and, you know, I'm just going to go and, like, play and discover, that those are not the words I would use. I'm just going to drive you know, around America, that... look for stoners. <laughs> <laughs> are you cool if I buy some pot where it's legal in states? <laughs> I did not buy any cannabis <laughs> on the budget of this movie. Um, 
that's not true. I think I bought a bottle of CBD juice at some point to, to, to film it for the, for the movie, which I did not end up using. Wait, was um, that a, is that like a legal concern or is that just you kind of no. joking about, okay. No. I wasn't sure. Like I was kind of interested, like, Oh my God, is that like, like I spent $48 on medical marijuana and now I could get sued in some way. I don't know. I'm, I think a weird thing. I, I, I actually, you know what now? I mean, this is a couple of years ago now that I filmed it. It could well be that at some point I spent like a couple dozen dollars on something that I wanted to film or something on some canvas. Right. I don't, I really don't remember. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't have been, it would not have even gone to the budget because you need to pay in cash for that stuff. So who knows? But anyway, I would not say to a funder, hey, give me some money to play. It would be, there is, there is a method to the madness, you know? Okay. It's, it's not like I'm going to, you know, if I want to make a movie about, about a, a cannabis, it's not like I'm going to like just walk down the street and walk into a dispensary now that I have a quarter million dollars to shoot a movie and be like, hey, so what do you know about, what do you know about weed? Can you like <laughs> tell me like any people I should talk to, you know? And try my luck, and either they'll know someone or they won't know someone. It's, it's not like that. There are aspects of that to it, right? But that's definitely not the master plan, you know. So you've got a couple different connections, and you can go to people, funders, and say things like, "Hey, man, I know this scientist. I want to go to this place. This person's doing this," and you're getting all these connections just because you're interested. How did actually? I never even asked you. How did you get interested in the CBD to do the documentary? Um, I wasn't. Um, someone I know who is a, a person with, with money who, who, who prefers to be anonymous um, had, had their lives really affected very positively by, by CBD. Um, and they asked me if I wanted to make a documentary about it. Um, it's you know, and and at first, the the honest truth was I didn't, and I remember talking to my my camera guy about it, who I had shot some other thing with, and I told him, so this person wants me to do a, a documentary about cannabis science and stuff like that, but like uh, I don't I don't really I don't give a shit about this stuff. Like I, I don't. This is not something I want to spend a year of my life doing. And uh, Nat said, "That sounds amazing." <laughs> and so that, <laughs> so that that was I, I remember that was like uh, that lit me up a little bit and thought and I thought, oh, okay, well, so, so someone's excited about it, so maybe I can be excited about it too. And then I started studying and really very quickly became like uh, as soon as I saw that TED talk I mentioned earlier, right. I became so enthusiastic about it. And then I went to so I grew up in Israel, and so I was in Tel Aviv. And I went to um, a conference called Canatech, which is a which advertises as a as a conference for science and and um, uh, industry and business and technology of cannabis. So I went to this conference and I thought I'd go learn some stuff. And at this con conference, I, I I I met this woman named Janie Maidler, and mm. she's in a panel and she's talking about this story about her and her daughter. And how her daughter had these face bone tumors when she was seven, and how cannabis changed everything. Uh, it was an amazing story. It had to do with them, uh, with her and her daughter uh, lobbying the Delaware government to change their laws of medical cannabis to allow for kids 
to have to, for minors to have access to medical cannabis. Yeah, amazing story. And I just ran up to her after the. Uh, by the way, this is a, a another way that you meet people. There's no rules, right, for yeah. for making documentaries. I ran up to her after the conference and introduced myself and said, "I'm going to make, I think, a documentary about medical cannabis. Um, can I have your card?" We just spoke for literally a minute. I contacted her like two months later when I started to shoot, and uh, and I said, "Hey, I met you at Canatech. You know, can can we can we shoot?" And we started talking. Ended up going to Delaware, spending three days with them filming. It was magnificent. I'm in touch with them till this day, and they they're one of the greatest story in the movie. Do the fact that their daughter had to be checked out of school removed from the premises in order to take her CBD medicine and the stigma that went along with it. Not, and I, I don't know what the spoiler alert rules are for a documentary. I don't think there are any because it's more, I guess, informative. But that's something that just, it almost pulls at your heartstrings. Like this girl is suffering going through pain. She's She's suffering. And we're just going to add another layer to Hey, we're going to make you feel more different because you actually have to leave the property in order to take your medicine. I was like, what the fuck are we doing? What are, what are we doing as a society? And it was awesome how, as you said, changing legisl legislation to stop that if any other child, God forbid, needs that kind of medicine to help them. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. And, and that's something I was mildly aware of before making the movie. I was aware that cannabis was useful medically for many people. And I was aware that it was illegal, even though it was medically obviously useful for people, which but I did no not sense. realize that degree to which the corruption was, was real. Um, and, and my first real like shock about that was when I learned that about 20 years ago, I think it was like 2000 or 1999 or something. There, there, there was a, a patent that the U.S. Health Department um, uh, filed, and the lead scientist on this patent is a Nobel Prize-winning uh, chemist, and uh, called Julius Axelrod, I think was his name. And this patent is for the medical use for a very wide variety of illnesses of cannabis molecules um, and the, 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 mole the compound mostly mentioned in that patent is, is a CBD. And so the U.S. government has this patent, the Nobel Prize winning, I'm just saying that, repeating myself, uh, chemists. Is that a big deal? Scientists, and it's schedule one, not useful medically at all, uh, you know, um, fully illegal. What kind of shit is that, you know? What kind of shit is that? You know what else? Um, this I learned later. Dr. Raphael Meshulam in Jerusalem, who is considered kind of a, the grandfather of modern cannabis scientific research. Uh, the guy's 89 or 90, still works every day. He's amazing. <laughs> he made a lot of huge discoveries in the field of cannabis research. This guy, do you know who's been funding him for decades? Purdue Pharma. <laughs> no, the U.S. government, the NIH. Holy shit. He got grants from them every year for decades. And so why are we funding research in other countries while it's fully illegal if here? You... Now, I'm fully for funding the research in other countries. Yeah, right? I'm glad that, they, that this man was funded. But, but what 
what's what's with the illegality bullshit? Is that right? So, and again, I'm I'm not an expert on much. I don't even know if yeah. I'm, I'll just leave it at that. But read a book recently, Dope Sick. Um, shit, I forget the author's name. It's Macy. I forget her first name. I apologize if she ever listened. She has liked one of my tweets because I loved her book. <laughs> Thank you. I believe it's Beth Macy. I had no idea, dude. That's Roanoke, Virginia, which is a train ride a couple hours away from Southern Delaware where I am. Purdue Pharma and the money they make on pharmaceuticals I cannot imagine the influence they have on lobbyists to take away something because let's remember pot is a weed for a reason. That shit can grow pretty fucking easy. (laughs) There's not a lot of research and development that has to go into it like you do with pills. And I was shocked at the grip that pharma had on legislative influence. It's disgusting. That is a subject that I purposely kept out of the movie because um, what I tried to to do was I tried to make a documentary that speaks to uh, that speaks to people with stigma that speaks to people who are uncomfortable with the conversation about cannabis. And the the first thing I thought that I don't want to do is to challenge them politically. Um, and to and to and to make them close up, like I wanted to, I, I, I wanted to talk to people who are you know politically conservative, who who are who are going to be maybe more likely to to be against you know cannabis use. Um, something amazing that I discovered making the movie is that you know in America you sort of equate religion with with conservative politics, which you may equate with not being pro cannabis. Um, that's just sort of conventional wisdom that right. one might have. I certainly did. Um, I've met many very religious people, including J- Jason David, who's in the movie The Father of the Child with Epilepsy. Oh, that was heart-wrenching to watch the the footage that that man, I don't know if it was him providing it just through a cell phone or whatever, yeah. but what his son went through, and you could just see the anguish in his eyes of the helplessness of not being able to help your child is so hard for a parent to imagine. It, it's one of the worst positions a parent could be in. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. But like that again, that and that was almost like 15, 20 minutes. Like it was hard to go on that roller coaster with him at first because you're just hoping, God, I want this to be positive. Please make there be a silver lining to this. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off about the pharmaceuticals, but that was where my mind went. I just wanted that silver lining and you do want to go to pharmaceuticals with it, but he didn't need to. <laughs> well, he was treating his child with a, with a lot of pharmaceuticals for At the first, first few years of his yeah. life. And it, he was just getting worse and worse and worse. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the guy was close to suicide because he couldn't deal with it anymore. And, uh, then he discovered can he discovered CBD and it just saved his child's life, saved his life. Um, but this man is very religious and it was kind of a nice thing to see. It, 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 you know, there's nothing cooler than, than there's nothing cooler than having your preconceived notions shattered. I think. Absolutely. Um, I, wish, I wish, I, I wish everyone was more co- kind of like comfortable with that because there's nothing better. 
it's awesome to get to know people. And it's part of what I got into this podcast for. I love gaining perspectives. I love speaking to people and listening and understanding as much as I interject, interrupt, and always apologize for it like I've done with you. But it is, dude, it, it, there's nothing better than being like, oh my God, I didn't think of that. Oh my God, that's what it was like? Like it's life changing to get that kind of perspective. It is. And a lot of the, the journey of um, a lot of the story of cannabis science is that it's it's filled with holy shit moments. No you doubt. Know? It's filled with like, what? Really? It's filled with that. Dude, um, the- you cannot really be anti-cannabis um, and then watch, you know, like look, look at the research and, and then honestly walk away still being anti-cannabis. If you're honest. Yeah. And if you're open and if you don't have stock in particular companies or work for them, the first, I believe it was, she came on after the muscles and I love the little editing of the words going like ding, ding, ding. And she rattled off must've been eight different prescriptions at least that she was on. Yeah. And I, and I'm sorry that I don't remember her name, but I'm sitting there thinking how terrible, how poor are, how, what a horrible way to wake up to say, I need to ingest ding, 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 pharmaceutical, 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 pharmaceutical. And it just wasn't working for her. And then all of a sudden you just feel helpless. And all of a sudden it's have some more pills, have some more pharmaceuticals. And it was like, it might not be that complicated. It shouldn't be that complicated. And that to me was the huge takeaway from the documentary is maybe simple is better. Well, with the pharmaceutical thing's interesting because uh, I have met hundreds of people literally while making this movie who have told me and my camera guy same exact story. Um, and I'm paraphrasing, but the, the, this exact same story, recurring story is I was – you know, down in the dumps, like I, my, I was very sick. Everything was terrible. Um, nothing was, I was taking all these pharmaceuticals. They kept giving me more. They kept changing my dose. Nothing was working. I was close to suicide. I was stuck in bed all day. Discovered cannabis was better the next day. This was, Dude. this was recurring. Um, now my relationship to the whole pharmaceutical thing was, to not disparage it objectively because obviously pharmaceuticals are very helpful for many people for many things. Thank God and for so, vaccines. Of course, for, for, for everything that works. Right. Yes. And so, so I think it's really dangerous to, to go down the road of like talking about how, you know, pharmaceuticals are bad. I wanted to show that from these people's perspectives, they had bad experiences with them that then they were able to improve with something else. Um, that's another thing which I didn't, I didn't want to like challenge people too much, you know, who, who are going to say, wait, but I, but I, but I need my pharmaceutical. Yeah, I need my antidepressant or, or this pharmaceutical actually works for me. And if it's working for you, that's awesome. Right. But it's, yes, but, but I, and, and I, and I feel like I had also kind of standing to, to, to talk about this because I grew up with really bad asthma. Okay. And um, I used to, you know, I, I used to find my, I used to go to the hospital somewhat often with asthma attacks. And when I was, t- and I, you know, I, I used to have an um, inhaler in my pocket my whole life. And when I was 20, 
two, I had moved to New York and I met this girl who uh, became one of my best friends. And she, she taught, she taught a form of yoga that was called, it's called Kundalini yoga. And Kundalini yoga is very different from regular yoga. And it's very breath um, motivated. There's a lot of, it's meditative, like breath, breath work stuff. And I went and I took a class with her and I, the, the day that I took that class, holistic, I, I left it in this kind of high and I left and I, it was cold outside. And later that day, I remember standing on a, uh, on a train platform at night thinking I don't have asthma anymore. And I did not have asthma anymore. Dude, after one session. One. And that's not, I'm not exaggerating. That's not a lie. It happened exactly as I just described it. I'm not like trying to make no, it dramatic. Yeah. It yeah. is as dramatic as, it, as I'm telling it. Well, I and, was um, trying to make it dramatic because I'm all about the downloads. No, I'm just kidding. And, <laughs> and the reason, the reason, downloads are good. The reason <laughs> I think that this happened was no doctor ever told me to pay attention to my breath. Mm. So they just gave me different inhalers at some point in my childhood, I was on steroids for a little while, right. like just whatever they give people for asthma. Yeah. I barely remember anymore. Uh, so I would take this inhaler every day, a few times, sometimes, you know, kept me out of, um, it kept me out of having to do combat duty in the military. So that was, that was useful. Oh but, my God. I forgot. So if you grew and not to cut your story off, but you were in Israel because you have to serve. That's not an American thing, but there's mandatory service in Israel. Is that what yes. you're referring to? Yeah. Which I did. I just had a, a, a job. That's not a combat job. Gotcha. I did. A, I, I made training films for the air force. That for early three. you were doing the film editing and stuff, huh? Yeah, I used to make make training films for three years. I was we would basically ran a little production company inside the um, the, the Air Force Flight Academy, and we would make training films for cadets from you know from start to finish. That was that was my that was my uh, professional training grounds. Did you get to pick? So in in America, and I served in the military. I was in National Guard, so. It's kind of like I feel like I served, but at the same time, National Guard, one weekend a month, two weeks a year, I've never been deployed. I always feel awkward saying I'm a vet because I respect the people who go away from their families for several deployments and actually battle. I never experienced that. But I did go to basic training. I did pick an MOS. I've never spoken to an Israeli vet, and I've always been curious how they get placed in their jobs. If it's mandatory service, and the, 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 I'll, I'll answer all that, but what you just said sort of makes me sad because the whole American um, way of thinking about people who have served in the military, I think, is fucked up beyond belief. Really, including the word veteran, it bothers me to no end. Please explain, and, and I will explain. I, I was uh, spending a lot of time with all these veterans with PTSD making making my documentary who, who have, who have, whose lives were saved by cannabis. And we were talking about how in America, when you come out of the military, 
you many many people feel very isolated like no one else knows their plight that they you know and no one else no one around them really gets them because so few people relatively yeah to the population go to the military right and and so and so so you're isolated and you only have your your fellow veterans that you have to sort of keep in touch with and find and many of them are having a lot of troubles yeah. so it's, it's it's problematic you're isolated in israel oh and also there's this thing here where everyone says um they need to thank veterans and 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 it's like thank you for your service every time people meet veterans and say thank you for your service i i just think that's a that's a broken dynamic mm. um because it creates sort of an excuse for people to not have to serve well, I say thank you for your service. That's good for me. Because that is and their it, service. And it creates a distance between people who are, you know, doing this this work that's that's crucial work for, for any country. You know, as, as long as a military is necessary, people need to be in it. And sure. who's going to be in it if not citizens of the country, right? Yeah. In Israel, everyone goes, or or most most people go. And so everyone's been to the military like every you know like in your 20s especially in your 30s you meet people so so where'd you go in the military you know like it's it's just part of it's it's just part of the culture yeah now of course israel and america are very different places with different stories and different situations sort of um (laughs) but you know america is definitely engaging in, in in wars so definitely an army is required so Really, it really bothers me. It really bothers me that that people are so disconnected from it here. I think it causes a lot of trouble. I think politically it's bad too because I think it makes governments able to sort of send people to do whatever the fuck they want without really any accountability to, to the citizenry, you know, because most people don't go. But that's my soapbox about that. No, <laughs> no, 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 dude. I was trying to um, unpack it and I was interested. I wanted to go back when... Because it seemed like the word veteran, for lack of a better term, triggered it. And I was wondering, is the premise you're just, you think more people should serve to get an understanding? And like, it's that simple. Like these people are fighting for freedoms. They're protecting, they're going out and doing shit. Other people don't want to do. Maybe if you had to serve, you wouldn't just thank them and be able to remain with pure clean hands, again, lack of a better term, I'm not trying to put things on it, but it, it, I, I don't know. You're better with words than I am. So I don't want to put my, words in your mouth, but I'm my curious. My own kind of personal, you know, very personal opinion on that is that as long as an army is needed, everyone needs to play a part in it. Mm. Um, as long as armies are needed in the world, everyone should participate. And if And if it's got enough people, then everyone should like be forced to volunteer in some way for, for for a pretty good amount of time you know how long more than you, a year how long did you serve three years okay and the, the reason is that i i mean this is like this is this is me like just like blowing smoke at some you know i'm not an expert and it's just my personal opinion i love it i think the reason is that you know if you look at this culture it's just so it's so fucking fragmented and it's so epically divided and our politics right now are kind of like very much kind of provoking civil war type. They're type polar, stuff. man. They're fucking polar. That, it's terrible. 
it's very bad. And I think, I think, I think people are not meeting each other enough in out yes. in the world, people from different classes. And that's what yes. military does is it, it, oh, dude, I it love connects it. people from different classes, but not in America. No, well, not in America. No, well, it does if because you enlist. Don't go to the army here. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, okay, I, I see what you're saying. Some, some do if they're trying to use it for some sort of gain. So you'll get them sprinkled in because if you get, if you go to basic, you're going to go to basic and maybe you get a little bit of pull, but at the end of the day, you're in a platoon with 60 to 80 guys. You're fucking waking up all night. You're going on stupid ass runs. You're getting smoked. Like things are happening, but culturally part of my worldview was shaped being from slower, lower Delaware. I go to Fort Benning, Georgia my bunkmate is a dude from the ghetto in Queens and I don't want to piss that cat off like Nixon, my man, Nixon, I haven't talked to him, but my man, Nixon was not fucking around and being around and with Nixon from the ghetto of Queens right next to us was a cowboy from Montana <laughs> and you couldn't get more of a contrast. And guess what? You know what united us? our common mission, which is what you're talking about. You get that mission, you get that bond, you get that goal. You have something somewhat traumatic that you're working through as a team that bonds you. And now when I see people who remind me of Nixon, I don't know if I feel comfortable, but I'm not scared. I'm not fearful. I I want to engage and I want to be personable because I'm like, hey, I remember you, Nixon, right? And it's it's comforting to know people from different parts of the world that you would not normally meet. Huge part of that for me was much like you, apparently serving in the military and going away somewhere for nine weeks and sleeping in bunk beds in a dorm with, or a barrack with 60 other dudes from all around America. So I, I think there's really is something as far as uniting the country and fighting this class divide that actually goes to big pharma as well. If you're talking about class divide, the military does, it could be the great equalizer. Like dude, fucking serve for two, three years, man. Get, get around people, get to know what people are like. And then if you run for office, at least during your formative years, you've listened, dude, the talks you get to at on marches at night, polishing boots, you really just get to talk and get to know people and what their dreams are. Why you enlisted? Like, oh shit, dude, you needed benefits. You got three kids and you just needed benefits. That's why you came in. Like, it's amazing. I'm sorry, yeah. that was my soapbox. Yeah. I didn't mean to get on it, but I was trying to it's emphasize a, your point. I think it's very important and very beautiful. I think that I think it is a great equalizer. And yeah. so I don't know. I, I I wish I wish more people. I think. I think we're living through a, an interesting period where, 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 where we don't have cohesion. It's very hard to say like, what is American? Yeah. It's, there's also a simple, similar problem. I believe in Israel where it's like hard to say what is Israeli. Um, it used to be very easy to say it. It used to be, I think much easier to say it in America too. Um, but I think as America became as technology changes, as, as the world changes so fast, I think people have lost sight of it. I think I think um, there's politicians who take advantage of that. Um, mm-hmm. It's I, I, and I think we're living in a bit of a mixed up mixed up moment where it would be useful to have 
things that equalize people. There was a guy who saw my movie at an early screening in UCLA, and this will piss you off. It will or saw, it won't? Uh, what? Did you say it will piss me off or it will not? It will piss you off. Oh. Um, it pissed me off. Um, I did a screening of the movie, like a feedback screening before it was finished. And to about 30 people at UCLA. And some guy, probably in his 30s, had this comment to say. He said that the veteran in the, in the movie, this guy Colin, right, with the, the red beard, uh-huh. This veteran who had been to Afghanistan, who suffered from very bad PTSD, who devoted devotes his life to helping veterans um, with PTSD not kill themselves um, by 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 you know by by providing them with a safe space to talk and to use cannabis to help their PTSD. This guy goes, I would have he would have been more credible to me if he had been wearing a suit. I got to be honest with you though. What was one of the first things I said to you about perception? And I brought up the hair and I brought up the appearance, right? And I brought up when you were talking about the scientific aspects and the seriousness, even me, and dude, I'm sitting here. People won't see me. I got a t-shirt on a backwards hat. Chill. I have a doctorate degree in education. You know, like I'm a very educated individual and I didn't even think about my appearance mattering to you because you're, you're, you're seeing me. But I had that bias myself. Now, I, I don't think I would have expressed it in the way that that fucking schmuck did. <laughs> like, what more? Like, it's served. What are you saying? But that on some level, it's weird that that appearance really dictates credibility. I mean, it's, it's amazing that sometimes it can be that simple. It's uh, it's something that we sort of have to acknowledge and just kind of accept as real. And then fucking but change it. But it's also maddening. It, it's terrible because maddening. what does your appearance have to do with your knowledge? With your work? With what you've done? Right? Like... Certainly shouldn't. God. What did you say to the guy? Did Do you acknowledge I, well, him Well, I was very, very professional and I did not respond. It was a feedback screening. I was just listening to what people said. So I, I, I was not, I was not, uh, I was not going to argue with someone's feedback, you know? Gotcha. I, I mean, look, you, you know, you, you, you're, you, the first thing you think, I'm a filmmaker. I want to make a good movie, right? I want to make an effective movie. I hear that feedback. I kind of like work in my head past the annoyance and I think, <laughs> does this have a point? Is there a problem with this person's credibility? Does anyone else think that? So I ask, does anyone else feel that? No one else did. I asked a couple other people if they ever had a problem with him. No one did. It was like a bizarre comment. Um, and there was nothing to do about it anyway. But I want, but I, yeah. but I wanted to know if, if he had a point. Well, because that's, would that be something going forward in the future? Say next documentary, you then make a comment to a person Hey man, do you want to, do you want a jacket? Hey, I got a tie. No, no you no. would never. Cause it just, no. why would you not? Um, well, all right. We're, we're going to go back to the, to the, to breaking down what authenticity means when interviewing people, ah. which we did not finish talking about. 
40 minutes um, ago. First of all, I personally associate <laughs> Scoots with with, uh, with lack of credibility. Like, Suits. Stop, I see someone dude. I don't believe what they're saying. Well, wait, that's my personal, that's my personal or ties. bias. Well, no. So, I, I always joke about myself. I wear a tie to compensate for my lack of work ethic, even though I feel like I work hard. But I feel the fact that I like I wear a tie if I walk into a room and I'm a teacher. So if I walk into a room with a tie and I look at you and I point and I'm like, sit down, for whatever reason, kids are like, oh, they're more compliant because they're like, he has a tie on. <laughs> that's a, that's a different dynamic in. In, a, in a like a business setting or a work setting or something like that like i i can see it being very different with students but like if someone is going to have some kind of work meeting with me uh-huh. so I, I i i immediately don't believe anything they say if they're wearing a suit and tie it's uh it's a wow. it's it's weird um where does so, that come so, from before like, you get there how did you get there to the point of you don't believe people in suits and ties Look! Look at our world. Look at look at <laughs> politics and, and the, the news and 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 banks. You know, like the, who who wears a suit? Bankers and politicians wear suits. How can you believe? How can you believe people in suits? Such a good fucking point, man. God. You know. Um. So so if if I see someone in a suit, I feel like they're gonna try to 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 lie to me about something. You know. Um. But. Back to this authenticity thing, because I think it's interesting. You, one of the one of the ways you achieve authenticity, I think, in interviewing people, is by not judging them at all as a as a as an interviewer, right? You can you can challenge them, you can, but 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 you're there to you're there to perceive their point of view on something. You're there to hear their story. You know, you're not there to judge their story. You can challenge their thoughts. You can challenge their opinions. You can challenge their their actions. You can say, "Why did you do something like this?" Wouldn't have been maybe a different uh, uh, outcome if you had done that. But you don't judge them. You know, so yeah. I mean, I I I could possibly ask someone to suggest to someone to change clothes for an interview sure if they show up with something like ripped and shitty looking i'll say hey it's like change change your fucking shirt you know but but i wouldn't i wouldn't suggest that they change their persona via what they're wearing you know what i mean gotcha yeah it's a although great... even that like there's, look there's no rule right even that uh, I, i'll even sort of say that that's not a perfect statement i mean maybe i would sometimes i i i I could I could see myself maybe do that in some very unique circumstance, you know, maybe. Well, I think – and oh, fuck, man. I don't know how much I want to get into it because I, I want to be very respectful of your time. Um, I know you We can go to, to 10. How about that? Oh, okay. All right. That helps. So I feel like if people are going to be on camera, they're going to present themselves how they see themselves as the best, right? Like – this is what I'm wearing because I want to make sure I look my best. So already they're going with their go-to. Would you kind of agree to that? I'm thinking about that. I think I think people I'm, – I'm trying to think through what people show up into interviews. It's very rare that someone showed up for an interview with a suit for, for a documentary oh, that I was shooting. No, right? I'm not even talking about suits. What I'm talking about is the perspective of – They've gone, they wake up that morning and they're fucking feeling special. And they're like, yo, today I'm on camera and how they present themselves 
there has been a lot of thought put into it. Yes. I think they show up um, trying to look like what they want to be seen like, you know, like they're just like, what's the thing that makes me look the most like how I feel like I want to be looked at, you know? Which is awesome. And which speaks to your point of you're speaking to all sorts of educated people and their choice, very rarely a suit. (laughs) And dude, I've never considered the point that banks, senators, or people in government, typical suit guys, people, shouldn't say guys, people. Um, no, no, I'm talking about guys, I'm not talking about women. <laughs> women don't wear suits. I'm talking about um, women don't wear that women, kind of suit. Women wear suits. I'm talking about the suit. No, no, I'm not talking about that kind of suit. I mean the suit that men wear with the tie and the jacket. Yeah. That is the one that makes me go, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna lie. But by the way, that's not an always rule. Like there's a, there's this one person in the film who did wear a suit and tie. One of the doctors. I didn't feel that from him. He gave, he gave off a uh, very honest vibe. Do but, you have to talk to yourself when you see him and like remind yourself not to judge or do you get like some sort of spiritual connection where you're like, wow, the energy's just cool. All right, we're good. Never mind. Look, I don't want to come across like a complete lunatic here about no. this, the suit thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm, with the suit thing, I'm like, I'm 90% serious. Whereas like <laughs> I, I give myself leeway to occasionally say, oh, you're not lying to me because you're wearing a suit. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to put you in that corner in any way. I honestly think it's a valid point. And truthfully, it's something I've actually really considered. I I very much consider my wardrobe probably more than other people when I teach, because I consider when I walk into a room immediately before I speak, 25 children judge me based on my appearance and how do I want them to judge me and I try to manipulate their judgment to help me interact with them and get them on my side, you know? So, but it's something I've considered where I'm like, would students feel more comfortable being vulnerable if I didn't have a tie? If I went untucked, fuck it, dude. I I live by the beach. If I wore shorts and a flip-flop, but am I compensating for some sort of like inadequacy within myself that I have to wear a tie because that's what you do if you're a professional, you know, like I have these conversations with myself, which is why I find them interesting not to paint you as some sort of loon or anything, dude, but I've literally thought the way you're thinking about this. And I, I I find it interesting. uh, There's something very interesting about how we choose what we look like. hundred percent. Because it is a costume. It's a daily costume. By the way, when I grew up in Israel, so I'm 42, so I grew up in the 80s and 90s, right, in Israel, and uh, no one wore suits back then, even to weddings, like ever. You you go to a wedding in a in a shirt and jeans. Um, Is today that- it's less it's less extremely like that, but still now going to Israel, I probably wear a jacket, but not a but not a suit. Um, what do you think changed it? Yeah, no one. Well, well, to be honest, I've not been living there since since two thousand. But but I go there a lot, and and uh, I've been to weddings there. It's still informal, but there's more people who like wear suits. What changed it? I don't know. Uh, Fucking American capitalist culture. I don't know. Fashion culture. changes. You know, Israel got more maybe more tight business. Yeah. Um, business-wise maybe maybe that. i mean it's capitalistic right like at the end of the day a suit Much to me to 
a suit to me represents capitalism, represents professionalism. That's, why, that's probably why I'm uncomfortable with it. Right. Dude, so, you know? and this is something else and how um, I think we finalized you coming on the pod and it's something I wanted to get into and it probably won't be the last topic, but definitely something I wanted to get into. You posted, I think it was on Instagram. You're like, to paraphrase, fuck social media. I'm out. If you care about me, email me. <laughs> and I think within a minute and a half of me seeing it, I was like, really want you to still come on. Hope you can, please. <laughs> kind of a thing, which again, you were kind enough. You've been awesome with that. So curious as to the why and then as to the marketing of films and getting your product out there and being like social media is just fucking toxic. Well, I kept Twitter because that's my main main source of a uh, of a uh, news. Me too. Um, but Instagram and I left Facebook a while ago. Um, Instagram has such an intensely addictive quality to it, and for years. I realize, like, and more and more recently, but I realized that for years I'm not operating at the optimal level that I can operate in at all. I don't achieve states of flow in my work the way that I used to since social media became uh, a thing. And I think this is true for most people. I think there are some people who are able to have it and completely disengage from it. I was not someone like that. Um, and it, the change in not having it was so immediate and so profound. The second I deleted my account, I uh, did not miss it for a second it's been a it's been a week now, but I've done this with Facebook, and it was the same exact thing, like a long time ago, like same exact effect. Never miss it, not for one second. No FOMO. No, I wish I was on it now. No, like maybe for two days there was occasionally picking up the phone, like wanting to go to it from habit. That went away. Nothing. I don't care. I I barely remember having had it, and I'm so much better now at focus, and I've my mind has returned to its normal creative state in a way that it was, I think not optimally at. And uh, I'm sort of embarrassed for having ha had it for so long. I feel ashamed. A good friend of mine who I write a lot of stuff with, um, she did it too at the same, like a couple days before me. And that sort of made me go, Oh, Oh, it's time. It's time to do this now. I need to know more. Um, because I'm going to pin you as the expert. And this is something as an educator and a parent, I have huge concerns about screen time. I feel like it is addictive as hell. I've not read nor researched. I've read articles here and there, but I haven't gotten down the rabbit hole in the depths. I haven't done the two or three, 300 page books written by somebody. But what you've said right there is my fear of being present and getting into that flow state. If you're constantly wanting to be like, update, oh, ding, oh, ding, oh, like, oh, value, and all that shit, it, it takes away from the 
Yeah, I mean, dude, like there's no other way to say it. Flow. If you go down a path and you just want to be free to explore your thoughts, you should not be tethered to or anchored to a like, to a tweet, to a message. And I'm very surprised you you weren't able to disassociate while having it, I guess, is what I'm thinking. I'm surprised you couldn't just like put your phone in another room and leave it for like a couple hours. Couldn't. 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 Why not? I, I mean, I would do it. But 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 then I would and that would last for a day or, or in a great case a couple of days you know and then like I'd revert and uh, I have no explanation for why except that it was like that and um and I I realized that man like what am I getting from this I don't like have followers that's not like a I'm not I'm not like a popular social media guy I don't do it for that I do it kind of for fun right. but 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 why what am I getting from it? And I realized, what am I looking at here? Like what I'm not getting anything from it. It's, it's nothing. I'm looking at nothing. Yeah. I'm looking at a whole lot of nothing for hours and it's ridiculous. And I'm not being creative because I'm looking at this nothing. It just doesn't make any sense. And I, I, I almost want to cry for that lost fucking like time that I've had from that that I've lost for uh, to, to this thing, and I'm and I've done things, you know, in the years I've had it. I've made movies. I made I had Instagram while I made this movie, <clears throat> but I've not been writing normally. I read two books in the last week since I got it off my phone, and I don't even feel like I spent time reading those books. Yeah. I wasn't reading normally before it. I was reading less. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's a fake, It's a fake sort of reading, and. I'm the same way. I gravitate myself towards Twitter because I enjoy the news aspect, much like you're seeing. Like I follow certain outlets. I try to get a broad perspective. You find people who post shit that are articles that you can then click on and actually read. But if I, when I look at my Instagram time and I try to use it for followers, not so much, but to expand my guest queue, I'm shocked, dude. If I look at my use time, I'm like, how the fuck did I just spend an hour every day on this thing? What Ridiculous. The fuck, what the fuck is that doing for me? And then what you just said, man, like in the summer when I'm chilling, I'm like, that's seven hours a week. People complain about, oh, an audio book is six and a half hours. It's like, if you got rid of your social media, you could easily finish a 400 page book a week and learn all sorts of new shit. And arguably, an hour a day is is uh, giving yourself a little. Uh, uh, it's 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 often more than an hour a day. Oh, if you, you know? added up all of your social, you're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of your and what is what are we looking at? Dude. You know, if we're not arguing politics with someone, we're not, which is also bad. You know, we're yeah. just not. It's nothing. Well, because there's no gain, there's no win. You know what the scary part is? I'm 39. You're 42. So we're, we're, and we're fairly intelligent individuals. I'd say we're in the upper 50% if we did an IQ score, right? And it got us, it gets us. I can't imagine what it's doing to the youth. Cause you, you, I'm, I'm sure you grew up much like me dial up. You didn't have yeah. a smartphone growing up in your pocket. 
try you didn't post a selfie and try to get 50 likes and hope that that girl or that boy clicked or left you a whatever emoji so that you felt accepted and what that Although does if I'm for honest you. I will definitely admit that I've had moments where I was very pleased that some girl liked something Dude, and honestly 100%. that's something that I'm embarrassed of now 100 you know? it's not a that's not a healthy thing and well, so since I cut this shit off I I also I did a I did a, a cleaning house. I deleted anything from my phone that is not a tool. Like anything oh. from the phone that like that caused me to go into it for looking at nothing is gone. I deleted the accounts and not just the app, I deleted the account. Right. I removed all notifications except texts and phone calls and WhatsApp texts from the phone and those I don't get addicted to. Twitter, I went and and unfollowed everything that I didn't really want to follow, and anything that was rep- repetitive, I follow. I unfollowed, and it's been a big improvement. Minimalism, but it's just been. It's just more. I, I wanna. I wanna honor my own thoughts, you know, dude, and use them. You only get so much time. But yeah. here was my point. When you say and. Dude, I'm the same way. If I post a pod and it has shit downloads, it do- like I I can start getting funky. And I'm like, "What the fuck, man? Like whatever. Like why are you doing it, right? It's a hobby you want to see. Why are you valuing your self-worth on 10 likes, 20 likes, 40 likes, like like 70 downloads? Like why is that number which is so arbitrary and ever-changing? But my point was when for instance, a girl likes it, and you're like, ooh, I like that. What age? Are, like, you're in your 20s or 30s at this point, right? No, I mean, like, in the last few years, it's happened yeah. that some girl I was interested in, if she would, like, comment on something, I would, exactly. I would think, oh, that's, that's cool. You know, I, that, that's, a, that's, a positive, that's a positive thing that just happened. So you're in your late you know? 30s, early 40s. Imagine yeah, I admit to that openly because I'm disgusted by it. Dude, what I'm saying is imagine what that would shape your mind in formative years at the age of 13. Yeah. It's and horrific. how that would make you feel about yourself. Horrific. And I just, um, like many people, watched a movie um, recently called uh, The Social Dilemma that, that Netflix has on it, which talks about the, the mechanism, really, of, of addiction. Um, like, it's just, it's, it's designed to make you look at it so they can just give you ads. What's the point? What's the point? Fucking we need to, we need, like, social media just needs to be reinvented, and we need to not be on it. And Facebook is a fucking disaster of a company and none of us should be supporting it um so yeah no 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 more of that dude it's it it uh, i'm almost scared to read about it although i guess not scared because i enjoy but it makes me feel like the rats going to the cocaine experiments where the rats become isolated did you hear i mean you you know about how the war on drugs came to be right yeah. It started with the rats and you get water, you get water with Coke and it's like, where do they go? They go with the Coke. But the real issue was the rats were completely isolated. The rats, when they had a choice between water and water with Coke, but other rats where they had relationships, where they could reproduce and have sex, where they had toys and hobbies, they chose water. I, but when they were isolated, it was all water and Coke. Well, social media is like water and Coke, man. You feel isolated because you never really actually, 
do what we're doing right now, dude, which is what I fucking love about the pod is how else are we just going to sit around and shoot the shit for almost an hour and a half at this point with other people? It's been three, four hours, man. It's, it's a refreshing humanistic thing to sit down and just talk with someone, man, without fucking being like, like, Oh, comment. Oh, (laughs) emoji. Oh, scroll. Oh, view. Like, it's inauthentic. Well, there's actually, I feel like my head sort of has become more spacious. So I've been talking to you for nearly an hour and a half and, and I'm, because I'm still new to not having social media, I'm very aware that I had not looked at my phone for an hour and a half. It's, it's in the room. Yeah. But, um, but, but it's not, it's in no way, it doesn't have a pull at all. It's yeah, upside yeah. down. Uh, nothing. Dude, and that's a, that's a nice change. You know, no, it, it, dude, it's, it's freeing. And it's, it's very surprising to me that someone of your status, sir, <laughs> felt I that way. Status, status. Well, I, I think you're a creative as hell person. Like to, to take concepts and turn them into documentaries, your mind to me is just like, I'm sure you think about shit. It's probably hard to go to sleep for you because you're just constantly churning wheels. Actually, that's so interesting. It used to be during during social media years, as I now see them as an era. Um, <laughs> I would fall asleep like this, like what, like head down one second, I'm asleep. Really? And I kind of forgot about before. And in the past week, two weeks maybe, um, I. I've been having like a lot of creative thoughts before going to sleep and I find myself writing them. It's, it's like, I feel like I, like I came, like I rediscovered myself a little bit. I bet. And that's very profound, you know, and my friend who did the same thing feels the same thing. And I think everyone should experience their life without having social media accounts. Twitter has not been a a source of, um, uh, addiction to me i mean it's got a little but it's not it's not been bothersome to me yeah. so i'm I'm okay having that for now yeah. although after the election trump doesn't win which i hope is what happens then uh then i will be done with it i need to i need to i feel so toxified <laughs> from these last few years i need trump out of my life i need i need constant like a iv of news out of my life you know yeah. I, man, I, I don't know. We've, we've got a couple minutes at this point and, um, I don't, I, I don't know if it would be a waste or whatever, but both of the candidates scare me. I'm so disappointed in the Democrats that fucking Biden and he's from Delaware. He's my guy. That's the best you got out of all those. Ca- I, I can't wrap my mind around it. Um, I'll tell you, I, I, if I had to um, vote for an old piece of kale right now over over Trump, you're going um, with it. I, I would do it with glee. Yeah, very happily, no problem. I need it? I need this era to be over. But it's so sad, dude. What do we have? Three hundred and almost fifty million people, and like most intelligent people are to the point of if you're a somewhat competent piece of kale you're better what the fuck is wrong no, in our society competent. i need a piece of kale <laughs> it can be an old withered out piece of kale <laughs> or spinach you know what i'll even take 
just a celery seed. <laughs> Rancid meat, dude. Like, at this point, I just need that guy to get the Expired fuck out of my life. Fired ranch dressing. I will take and chug. I need the guy who praises the blood of Henry Ford to get the fuck out of my life. God. That's what I need. Um, David, let's pivot with this for our last thing. Um, okay. I'm going to assume, and no shade, but to make fun of you a little bit, since you had no idea that I was hoping to have you on for like several hours, <laughs> I'm going to assume you also do not know how the podcast end. No. Perfect. There have been three people who have. Can I please get your best for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. My, my best what? For last. What does that mean? Oh, come on, man. I do it. That's what everyone does who doesn't do their research. Um, it To me, it's a little gimmicky on the getting to know you. So best for last. If oh, I'm, the best for last. This, but, I, I was like, but, best number four last. Like, no, no. Well, last. that's my Delaware accent. So I say best first for last so if you get to know someone typically you get to know a lot of their first experiences what was well, the first time you whatever that's a cool story that you want to share about yourself that would be the last thing people listening and me would get to know about you so i try to be clever i'm into alliteration best first for laugh but i last but i feel like Either it's my drinking or my Delaware accent or a mix of the both that completely fuck it up. <laughs> you want my best for last. You want my, like the story that I save my best story that I save for last. That's a first experience. I think like I really enjoy the first time people blanked. That's memorable to you. Oh, okay. Oh, I can tell you about the first time I, <laughs> this is appropriate. I can, the first time I, I, uh, I smoked cannabis. Dude, I almost, I was so, yes. Let's, what it a great was 23. I did not have any, any till I was 23. And I, I had moved to LA a couple of months before that from New York. And I've moved back, I'd moved back and forth a few times between Los Angeles to New York. And the next Day, I was going to fly to Bulgaria for my first job on a feature film as an assistant editor on this like B movie, <laughs> this very bad B movie called Air Marshal, um, and <laughs> and so so at the night before I was going to fly, I I was hanging out with two good friends of mine, one of whom is the one who gave me that Kundalini yoga class. Okay, um, two good actor friends of mine. And he was, um, the, the guy, uh, he was uh, watching a house in the Hollywood Hills for a, for a friend of his who had this like big house in the Hollywood Hills. And, and he was a major stoner at the time. And, and she had it from time to time, but he was like a big stoner. And this was going to be my night of having it for the first time because I'd never done it. So I was like, all right, you guys, like... Uh, good friends i feel safe let's let's do this you know dude how long was the build-up 
Like it wasn't instantaneous. Like, Hey, at six o'clock, you didn't have any prior notice. This is like weeks think, in advance. No, 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 no. I think we had dinner or something. If I remember correctly, we had dinner at, at, uh, at this Mexican restaurant, Beverly Boulevard. And then decided that we're going to do this tonight. <laughs> so we go to his house and he brings out a bong. Oh Lord. Bongs are very strong. That's your first as experience. I, as, as I learned. So, so they, they each take a hit of this bung and then it's time for me to take a hit of the bung. Now I will preface this by saying I'd never smoked anything in my life. I never smoked a cigarette. Oh man. I was just never, never attracted to it. I had asthma growing up, so I never, never touched it. You are fucked. So I, t- <laughs> so I take a hit of this bung, like how, however I'm imagining I should, like I'm imitating them. And the two of them tell me, no, you didn't do it right. You have to do it again like this. Oh, so classic, I do it a second time. Classic setup. Go, no, 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 you didn't do it right. You didn't do it right. You have to do it again. <laughs> so I do it a third time. And they go, no, David, like this. So I do it a fourth time. And then they say, now you did it right. So I had four hits of a bong for my first experience with THC. And, uh, and it was just so amazing because I remember the moment that I realized something was wrong, which was, it was a piano um, in the room. And so, so I remember getting up to play the piano. And then the next thing I realized was I was on the couch and playing the piano seemed like a distant memory from many years ago. And that's when I realized that I am not in a normal state of mind. <laughs> and then, and the three of us were out in the, in the, um, there was a hot tub outside and we were in there and, and, uh, and, and at some point I was able to put my head back and suddenly I had completely relaxed into it and I just heard the universe, you know, right. like that, that sense when you're really high and you hear like echoes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was such a powerful experience that I did not feel, and it was a fully positive experience once I relaxed into it. But it was so strong that I did not touch it again for another 13 years. Stop, dude. Because Why? Why would you not want to because re-experience I just never, it? It just never, it never was something I wanted. You know, it was just like I had that experience. It was powerful. It was meaningful. Um, and then I didn't, I, I didn't feel like I needed to be more acquainted to it. After I had a divorce a few years ago, when I was like 37, um, some, some girl reintroduced me to it. And then I sort of started, <laughs> I started like realizing, okay, this is kind of nice. And I would have it from time to time. And then when I made the movie, I, I learned a lot more about it. And my whole relationship to it changed. I still don't do it a lot. Um, but, but I have a much healthier i think relationship to it god i'm so curious i'm so surprised that your experience initially was so positive and yet you brought the stigma to the movie that you spoke about like what do you think that's about well i my stigma bringing it to the movie wasn't so much pot is bad it was more like overuse of cannabis makes people annoying. Uh, that was my stigma. That was my personal stigma of it. Um, I don't agree with that statement now, but at the time I thought that, um, I still think way overuse can make people annoying, but, but, uh, but I don't think of that as an axiom, you know? Gotcha. 
Got you. That makes sense. I mean, moderation. I think a lot of people tend to go with the moderational aspect of it. Um, Although, look, Steve D'Angelo, who is in my movie, who is this you know very famous cannabis activist, who is one of the smarter people I ever met, I interviewed him at 11 a.m. one day. And he, he he was like the sharpest interview ever. He the guy is like a machine of sharpness. He speaks so well and so eloquently and so intensely and and so interestingly. Never says uh. Never th- never like goes um. Hmm, never falters. And I realized it was eleven a.m. And I realized that that guy had already had several hundred milligrams of THC that morning. <laughs> and he goes, what? That's just breakfast. And I had met many people since who are, who are like that, who, whose, whose systems can, can take it. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and they feel uh, healthy from it, you know, and they're not high. And yeah. that's, that's the takeaway, right? It doesn't make you, it doesn't have to make you high. Cannabis is, a very big thing that has different effects for different people and is, uh, it can be a very positive thing. I think that's an eloquent ass way to end the podcast. And I feel like you were feeling that with your monologue. Should we call it a monologue? Probably. Probably. Um, I, I was, I was, I was giving you a, a final scene, you know? Yeah. Right. Dude fucking loved it. Jesus. David, if people, and I, shamefully i love your website the website i went to with all the different pictures they're almost like tiles and you can click around to me was really cool but i don't know anything else you've done so do you want to end with a couple different plugs about what people should check out if people want to know more about you how can yeah, people you, find if out you want to know more about me you can go to my website which is davidjaku.com david j-a-k-u.com okay it's got my stuff i've directed and edited on there um right now i'm i'm uh I'm, I'm developing a whole bunch of stuff and trying to develop some shows and see what happens next it's covid time so production is not uh as alive as it usually is you know so, so i think everyone's sort of trying to get through this period yeah right so so i've heard um for me it's been a boom trying to start a podcast because every like it's just so much easier to get creative people like you to have Everyone a couple alone. hours to spend to be able to shoot the shit where normally so hard to get people on, I would imagine, because like what you're saying, the restrictions. Um, thank you're you. You're so- This was fun. Dude, thank you so much for taking your time. Thank you so much for letting people get to know you, David. Thank you so much for, um, I don't know, just being on the podcast, dude. I feel, I feel official having spoken to you. (laughs) (laughs) You are official. (laughs) I love it, dude. Um, Enjoy the rest of your night. What are you editing? That'll be the last thing I ask you. What are you editing? um, I'm editing a a trailer for a, for a pitch for a TV show that, that uh, I'm doing with some friends, which I I cannot talk about the details of um, because that would not be proper. But, but uh, yeah, that's what I have to get through uh, at least starting it tonight. Okay. And is that your main, and I said it would be the last thing I ask you. I'm sorry to be that guy. Like you seem the editor. I, is that kind of like one of your strengths that you see yourself? Like you just know how to splice shit together. I was, I was an editor primarily for many years. Like I, I I started editing when I was 17 and that's 
that was my main source of income until uh, uh, like a few years ago when I decided I need to like stop doing this every day. You know, divorces bring life changes. You know, you suddenly realize I want to change yeah. what I'm doing. Um, and I started focusing on directing. I was able to s- sort of switch into it and to do more of it, which was which has been nice. I still have been editing the things I've been directing. I would like that to stop. But uh, okay. yeah, I kind of lost my, my patience for editing a little bit. Yeah, dude, it seems just me editing the podcast that I do, it's the mo- like it's my least favorite fucking part. I wish I could just send someone the file and they just made it cuz I feel like they could do it better because in my head I'm worried about scheduling, finding, questioning, researching. I don't want to just splice and try to timestamp and make all this shit line up, man. I can't imagine for you with way more footage what that would be like. I really can't. Editing is a is a, is a huge art form and and yeah. craft and and uh and I love it and it's it's been what I it's what I do like most people that I know and then work with know me as an editor. Um, I think I just lost my patience for it at some point and I always pa- patience is almost the wrong word because when you're an editor you don't really think of yourself as patient you just you get into the flow and you do it yeah. unless you have social media. Um, <laughs> But, but now I sort of, I, I think I'm a little more antsy and I want to spend more time uh, researching, writing, yeah. shooting, um, and telling someone, like, here's the footage and working with them as a director. Right. Um, so, yeah. Hopefully, Dude, well, hopefully I can CBD, do more of that. CBD Nation, to me, for 83 minutes was just punch after punch, knowledge after knowledge. I love the animation. I love the balance. And it is your voice, right? That we're hearing? Yes. Yeah, dude. Like the voiceovers, to me, everything. Even the muscle, like you had brought up, the muscles at the beginning, I'm like, I thought we were talking about pot. What the fuck? And then the tie-in and then just the flow. Um, It it was awesome. I, I so loved watching it. And again, to wrap it up, so loved having you on, dude. Really appreciate your time. Hopefully, if we ever get to podcast again, set aside a couple hours. <laughs> now okay. let you know. That sounds good. I would love to do it again. This has been delightful. Dude, awesome, man. Thank you so much, David. It was great getting to know you. Thank you very much. It was great getting to know you. <laughs> All right, man. Until next time. Yep. Should I should I leave the meeting or do I need to wait for you to do something? <laughs> I'm going to include that in the podcast just so I can make fun of you later on. <laughs> Thanks to David for coming on the Getting to Know You pod and for creating such a meaningful, life-changing piece of cinema. Be sure to stream his documentary, CBD Nation, and advocate for natural ways to feel better. I gotta be honest, fuck Big Pharma and those corrupt, profit-driven fucks. If you have read get to read, learn anything about what they do, the way they lobby. Fucking twisted. Hop on with the natural. Hey, thanks to AndrePsyche.com, <laughs> speaking of natural, for sponsoring the Getting to Know You pod. Go to AndrePsyche.com for some trippy merchandise. That's going to be worth checking out. And if you have not already, please Friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The word of the pod is cannabinoid.
cannabinoid is the word of the pod. Post that word on any of our social media or tag the Getting to Know You pod when you use it on yours and you can get a shout out on our very next podcast. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. You can also go to our Patreon to support the pod for as little as $2 a month if you've enjoyed any of the guests that you have gotten to know by listening. And finally, don't forget, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. All you need to do is message us. See you later, alligator.